The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections, and Kinky Education. We're kinky, done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self. With questions asked by a guy. And now here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to the program, and it's great to have all of you along with us. We go across the pond to start Brit Week with an amazing story of a woman who had everything she ever wanted, and when she got it, she decided it wasn't what she wanted. Instead, she took a road to happiness that led her to amazing places to discover that her body was her business. Melissa Todd is a writer and performer. She's worked in the sex industry for the last 26 years, starting as a stripper, moving gradually into porn and domination. Her first book, My Body Is My Business, is a fictionalized account of her career, and it was published in November of 2021. Her story has been featured in the New York Post, the Sunday Times of London, and news outlets all over the world. Melissa joins us today on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you opened up the envelope and realized that you had been accepted to Oxford. Oh my goodness. Oh, I remember it so vividly. I spilled my coffee all over the kitchen floor. I was so excited. Oh my gosh, this is really happening to me. I couldn't believe it. It was thrilling and amazing. And my mum screamed and cried and we hugged each other and jumped up and down. Yeah, it was a very exciting time. Yeah, I was 17. Yeah, a long, long time ago now. Yes. First time you were at Oxford and realized you didn't want to be there. Oh, goodness me. It was quite um, quick, I think, really. It was, I think, only been like perhaps a week. And I realized that, yeah, it just wasn't the place for me. I didn't really understand anything that was happening there. It just, yeah, everyone there was much more rich and privileged and confident than I was. And it just wasn't the right place for me. It's dawning sense of horror that I'd made this horrible mistake. And it just wasn't where I needed to be. Yeah, I think I was in a a party and they were saying sweet or dry and I didn't know what they meant and it was what kind of sherry you preferred <laughs> the hell am I meant to know I'm 17 you know <laughs> so uh, I thought oh my goodness I've made the most horrifying blunder yeah this is not a place for a girl like me yeah sad but true and but every week after that it became more obvious that I was dead right that this was not the place for me yeah it's not enough to be clever you also have to come from a certain kind of background and I simply didn't mm. yeah they don't tell girls that they tell you, you know, as long as you're clever, everything will be fine. It's not true. <laughs> Brains are the least of what you need, really. You need to come from a whole different background from mine. First time you stepped into a strip club and realized mm. this might be the place I want to be. <laughs> that was the place. Oh, well, that was about a year afterwards. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd seen an advertisement in a local newspaper saying dancers wanted, you'll need, you'll make up £600 a night, no experience necessary. I thought, well, this is brilliant. You know, I love dancing. I love money. And I've no experience of anything at all. My mum had been a dancer and we came from a very poor background, as I've said. So um, I thought this is clearly ideal. And uh, 
because she had she'd been in West End shows and so on. And when I was a tiny, she used to take me around to backstage and meet all the girls and sit in dressing rooms. It was all mirrorballs and sequins. So as soon as I walked into the strip club, I felt instantly at home and comfortable. You know, it was all sequins and mirrorballs, obviously, and, and glass and champagne and uh, a wonderful bunch of girls all waiting to be auditioned. I just felt at home and alive and, uh, and comfortable and confident and the exact opposite of everything I felt at Oxford. Uh, so yeah, I was 19 and uh, well, yeah, even though I didn't get the audition first time because I was an idiot and I turned up in a leotard and leg warmers, I thought it'd be like a chorus line, you know, <laughs> they'd, they'd teach me a little routine. I mean, that, that wasn't what it was like. <laughs> I was meant to go on stage and sort of just take, take my breasts out and walk off the stage again. That was the entire audition process. So they just wanted to judge my, my stage presence, my charisma and my breasts, obviously. <laughs> but um, yeah. As girls will know, trying to get your breasts out of a leotard is quite tricky. So it was very hard to do elegantly. But the next night I got the idea and uh, and I got the taste as well. So I went back in sequined basque and thigh high boots and so on. And that time I got the job. First time you ever picked up a kink in implement and used it on someone. Oh, my goodness me. Gosh, I'm really less sure when that might have been. Oh, I remember when it was first used on me, which was in the back of a spanking shop, like a spanking uh, specialist video and magazine shop. And again, I was auditioned there and an old boy said, right, take your knickers down and, um, and we'll see if you pass this audition. <laughs> Bless him. Again, I was so sweet and naive. I went, oh, OK. And uh, yeah, took my pants down and got thoroughly beaten and really enjoyed it. <laughs> As to when I used it, gosh, it was probably in a video, actually. I think I would have been about you know, 26 and... Uh, yeah, I was asked to switch, which I wasn't at all confident doing. Um, it was probably like a little leather paddle or something, and I had to hit one of the other girls present. And, uh, yeah, that was tricky and weird. And, um, yeah, I wasn't at all comfortable hurting people, really. But I, gradually I started to get a taste for it. Probably not that gradually, actually. It was quite quick. But actually, this is quite fun. <laughs> First time you hit your keyboard starting to write your book, and what led you to that moment? Oh, gosh, I do remember that. I was sitting in a, in a playground watching my son skateboard, in fact. And the, you know what it's like? You might, if you have children, you just sit there for hours and hours watching them have a nice time. And uh, I thought I ought to be doing something useful and not just, you know, sipping tea and chatting to the other mums. Um, so I, um, I started writing about my time as a stripper. People are always saying, you know, if you do something vaguely interesting, oh, you should write a book about this. Um, so uh, I started writing and I found it incredibly cathartic and, uh, and really enjoyed it and started making sense of my own life. And I thought this would be something really nice to do for my son to explain how I'd got here and what had happened to me. And uh, yeah, it was really enjoyable. I just carried on. I thought, it was, yeah, I liked it. It was making me laugh. So it might make someone else laugh too. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey and I thought it ought to be documented. We're going to bring all those parts of the journey together when we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think, and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. Hi folks, Key Barrett here, and I've got a question for you. Do you think your wife or girlfriend makes the best decisions and you want to support her any way you can? Ladies, do you think your partner works best when they're told exactly what you want? 
both might be looking for a female-led relationship. From mild to wild, these strong relationships have one thing in common, satisfaction. Read Surrender Submit Server on Audible, Kindle, and Paperback today to start your female-led journey, and good luck. Throughout the years of my career, people have always kind of defaulted as treating me like a victim, and I have kind of equated it to the character I created, Jewel Marceau, the damsel in distress. And I wonder if that hasn't just leaked over into people's minds that Jewel Marceau is this damsel in distress and she just always needs to be rescued and she's so helpless and oh, poor her. And this is another uh, reason as to why I have wanted to become a dominatrix. Raw Emotions Honest Truth from the Icon, Mistress Jewel Marceau, April 5th on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at Podcast. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Welcome back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. I'm John, joined by Melissa Todd from across the pond. Where exactly are you in England, if you can give us a general idea? Yes, I'm in Kent, right by the beach, um, about 70 miles from London, southeast. So I'm nearly Belgium. I'm that far south and east. It's almost not England at all. So if you walk along the beach, you get a mobile phone signal for Belgium. It's that far down. Wow. (laughs) Well, I I love England. I've always been an Anglophile. I listen to BBC uh, Radio 1 when I want to hear the latest hits. So uh, I'm uh, I'm obsessed with 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. That's very cool. I also like that show. It's very cool. I have a I have a little crush on Rachel Riley, but who doesn't? Oh God, who doesn't? <laughs> the number of men who want me to dress like Rachel Riley is uncanny. But they do, do they want you to do the mass? Never. Probably <laughs> <laughs> not. No, that's that never turns up in conversation. No. <laughs> well, I have a wonderful. Uh, my queen loves doing uh, mass as part of scenes where she'll add ask me to add up things, and if I get it wrong, she hits me. Uh, with the amount of uh, numbers that I am away from the actual answer. Oh, wow. That's mean. What do you have to write Is Is it like times tables and things? What do you have to do? She'll do times tables, additions, and then sometimes she'll say two plus two and I'll say four. She goes, no, that's not what it is today. And just hit me. Wow. Just because she enjoys doing it. Why not? Okay. (laughs) Obviously, you had to be good at math and writing and all sorts of things to be able to be accepted into Oxford. What were you going to Oxford to study? Yeah, I was reading philosophy, politics and economics, PPE at Balliol College, which is Boris Johnson's old college, although he left some years before I did, I'd like to point out. Um, Yeah, I was very interested in politics, I still am. So I thought maybe I'd be a politician or a civil servant, something like that, something to do with government, yeah. Was there something in your background that made you go in that direction? I don't think so, I don't know. I I think I've always been interested in power structures really. And kink is just another version of that, Um, just more interesting and sexy. But yeah, I remember when I was a child, sort of, I'd create power structures among my dolls and stuff. I'd be interested in who was in charge and who wasn't. So <laughs> clearly that was always in me. But yeah, it just went in a sexier direction for me. Yeah, because I'm very horny as well as interested in politics, as it turns out. <laughs> and you have an interest in theatre as well. Where did the performing start? So my mum was in the theatre. She was um, live at the London Palladium. She did. She danced at the Eurovision Song Contest and so oh, on. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. So she's always acted and sung and danced. Um, so that was always in me. And she taught dancing when I was growing up. Um, so, yeah, I just feel very comfortable among theatre people. Uh, and so, you say, when I was stripping, I just loved being on stage. I just felt right. And uh, when I got too old to strip, I, I was about 30, I think, and that just seemed tragic. So I started doing amateur dramatics and stuff, and I met my husband, who is a playwright, and we decided to run a theatre company together. So that's, uh, that's helped me through that terrible show-off 
kink vibe that I've got going on in me. <laughs> it's another way out. However, I know this from performing and directing improv, mm. that theater is about power dynamics. It is about status of characters and how you respond to them and how you address them. So maybe there's a little crossover there. Well, that's interesting. That really never occurred to me, but you're probably exactly right, actually. It is. It's all about power dynamics, isn't it? Definitely. And how you speak to people and interact. Yeah. There's a great improv exercise where an instructor will give out a deck of cards Mm -hmm. and people hold the card to their head and you talk to them in the rank of where their card is. Oh. Okay. So if you talk to them and they have a two on their forehead, you may go, can you go get me a Coke? Right. I mean, literally, you go into the refrigerator and you open the door and you pull it out. <laughs> or if somebody has an ace on top, my Lord, it's good to see you. Uh, what can I do for you? And you have to try to guess where the power what, is. What in the number is. Oh, how fascinating. I'd love so to I, I digress and say that because I, it seems like every bit of your life has led you to understand the power dynamics in, in sex and sex work. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the stripping first. You leave Oxford, you walk in. I love how you described how you had your leotard and leg warmers on, <laughs> much like your mom would have if she was going to an audition. That makes perfect oh, yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> What was it that made you believe, other than the money and the no experience, what gave you the confidence to step up on that stage? It's really hard to explain now, and it makes no sense. But if you're a performer, you get it. If you're just up on stage and all eyes are on you, you get this newfound confidence and uh, and a rush from it that's like nothing else on earth you know it's better than sex better than anything and I got a massive adrenaline rush and uh, suddenly I wasn't shy anymore I'm a very shy person but on stage that all just falls away and I just feel absolutely comfortable and confident that I know what to do what to say and I can just make people look at me and like me uh, and, and thank goodness I found that out when I did. Stripping is a very intimate medium because unlike theater where you look out into the lights and all you see is darkness because it's hard to see the audience a lot of times. I would guess in strip clubs, and honestly, I haven't been to many, that if you're up on stage, you still see everybody right there because of the way it's lit, because you have to have this intimate connection with them, even if it's not physical, but the the power connection that you have with them. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You do, you see all eyes on you. And I loved that. And also, of course, if you're going to make any money, you have to make that connection first and get paid to go up on stage. So suddenly I was hustling and competing against maybe a hundred other girls a night and trying to find men and make them like me. And uh, I didn't know how to do that at first. And I didn't have the right words. And um, yeah, I don't know how I made that work. I really learned how to talk to men in a strip club and how to make them want me. It was, um, yeah, it was rough. (laughs) But I seemed to make it work in the end. When did you feel the change was made that allowed you to have that confidence? What was the difference between what you were saying in the first few weeks and what you were saying a few years later? I honestly couldn't tell you. I really don't. I just learned how to do it. And I I couldn't tell you what it is now. I think I just, I learned how to read their body language, I guess, and empathize with them and, um, be a good listener. I found men really just love to be listened to. Probably women do as well, but they don't pay me, so I don't care. <laughs> but um, they just wanted to be heard and have their stories heard and be respected. And I found that was something that I could do. So I took quite a submissive role, actually, I guess, in the strip club. But they seemed to really like that and respond to it. And uh, yeah, they would come and flock to me and tell me their story. And then they'd want to see me naked, which was perfect. <laughs> and they'd pay me for that and pay me to talk to them as well. And, you know, buy me champagne. I get commission on that. Yeah, I found my role quite quickly in that. And that you can be a submissive stripper, actually, and that will work for you and you'll make money from it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I cannot picture, because I only see what I see in movies in American strip clubs, but I have no idea if there is a difference in a British or European strip club versus an American strip club. 
Here we're so regulated. There are some places where you can't even do any touching. Some places where you can't uncover everything or it's a dry environment with no alcohol at all. Describe what it's like inside a European or to be more specific, a British strip club. Yeah, it's incredibly regulated. And I think since I've stopped, it's even more regulated. But you have to be at least three feet away from the client. So I see absolutely no touching for sure. Um, So even though you're doing a table dance and you're right by them, you can probably smell them. Uh, Yeah, definitely no touching. And if that's just to go down to your underwear. And if you want to be fully naked, where you make more money, obviously you have to be up on a stage. So you're much, much further away. Uh, But yeah, there are lots of bouncers around. You're certainly not allowed to exchange phone numbers, anything like that. Uh, I say since I stopped, I think there are many more rules around it now. Yeah. Yeah, certainly not a free for all. Did you ever have a situation, because I don't know how long you've been married, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but did you ever have a situation where there was this connection with one of the customers that came in that made you go, it's difficult to be a stripper in this particular case because I genuinely like this person. Oh, all the time. It really did. Yes. And I, I got a boyfriend out of one of my clients. We just, yeah, we couldn't stop touching. That was pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, there was just instant chemistry and connection there. And we were together about three or four years. But yeah, all the time. You, you learn, you know, you get to know these people. You learn to really like them. You hear their story. You want to know about what's happening in their day. Yeah. And it was genuine. There were, yeah, real connections made all the time. Otherwise I couldn't have done it. I think really, I'm not very good at just making small talk and getting my tits out. You know, for example. <laughs> As you would. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's not very fulfilling, but yeah, real connections was definitely what it was all about. That's where I was, um, yeah, making the money and enjoying myself too. So yeah, all the time. I know in a good kink scene, you lose yourself in the moment. Did you find yourself losing yourself in the moment with when you were up on stage and having to try to figure out how to keep that high without having the performance drop that I used to have after every one of my improv shows, let alone a kink scene? Mm, that's probably true. And again, I've never really thought about that, that analogy, that comparison. But yes, yeah, very much so, in fact. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Yes, you definitely do lose yourself in the moment uh, and you just have to be there. You can't think about anything else. You can't be worrying about anything else. You're just there, you know, trying to keep all eyes on you and uh, yeah, and just reveling in the power that you have actually in the performance you're giving. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. You're making me terribly. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of self-care would you give yourself? Because obviously in a stripper environment, you're on all the time Mm. and you have to be present and have to be connected all the time. When you disconnect, what kind of self-care were you able to give yourself? Yes, it it was probably quite exhausting. (laughs) I think because I was very young, you know, I was still a teenager. So I was just able to do that and flip in and out. I probably find it much harder now, Uh, but I'd go to the gym every day and and do like proper dancing and stuff. I'd make sure I'd eat properly and, uh, and yeah, and connect with friends quite often, talk about what I was up to. I'm, all, I'm very lucky. I've always been able to talk about what I do and um, never hidden it from anyone. And yeah, I was still very close to my mom. So I talked to her about it all and just unwind from it and laugh about people I'd met and stuff. Um, yeah. And I know that's a huge privilege because so many of my friends in the sex industry just don't have that and they have to keep it all tucked up inside them, which must be incredibly hard, just impossible, really. Have you always had that acceptance from your family and friends? I have. And I know I'm just incredibly privileged, but yes, I've always told them what I'm up to. And uh, yeah, they just think, oh, well, that's Melissa. That's what she's like. That's what she does. And yeah, it's just always been accepted. Because my mum's in show business, she didn't think anything of it. There was never any particular demand on me that I do anything respectable or sensible (laughs) because she hadn't ever. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I am lucky. Was there ever a time while you were enjoying this profession of being on stage and being so open and so vulnerable, both physically and personality-wise, that you ever thought, what if I had stayed at Oxford? Mm. Um, I don't think that ever really happened. I just, I was 
very happy, honestly, from day one of being a stripper. And uh, I just never really stopped being happy. I mean, I did go back actually for about two weeks because I told them I was only having a year out. So I did go back for a couple of weeks, but um, I was just grown so unaccustomed to being unhappy and being poor mm. that uh, I just, I can't do this anymore. Um, I suppose in, in the subsequent years, it has occurred to me what on earth would it, would it have been like if I had stayed and become a civil servant, which was the plan. But I think I've just been so incredibly miserable. And uh, I think the sort of naughtiness in me and that, that desire to show off and get attention, I think that would always have come out in some way. So probably as well, I've made a career out of it or I've just been the lousiest civil servant going, I think. And I'm not very good at following rules either. So yeah, it would just not have worked out at all. <laughs> I remember in the early days of this show that one of the first five questions, which I always used to ask, would be, when was the first time you realized you weren't normal? And that question started going away because I realized that the answer was always, well, I was never normal. Mm. When did you realize in your youth that you had this streak about you, that maybe there was this naughty streak about you? And was there anything in particular that caused it? Yes, I was incredibly young. So it was probably in me from birth, I think. And I went, I was taken to the circus by my mum. And I watched a woman get tied up um, just before I think it was like a knife throwing trick or something. I was about two or three, I think. And I watched the rope snake around her body. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's so interesting. And it's given me these weird, fuzzy feelings, you know. And I asked my mum, can we go back and see that again? I just wanted to see this particular rope trick. And, um, and then I started tying up my dollies <laughs> and, uh, and putting them in mortal peril. And uh, yeah, and I never worried about it. I just thought, oh, that's what I like. And I just desperate to go to bed and think about just tying people up and they're being in danger and they're being in pain and they're being frightened. And uh, again, I know how lucky I am that I just never worried about it. Some of my friends thought, oh, I'm going to have to, I must kill myself. You know, if anyone finds out what I'm into, I'd have to kill them and kill myself. But um yeah, I just never, I just thought, oh, I'm a weirdo. That's fine. <laughs> oh, well, tumpty tum. <laughs> so you would always tie your dollies and think about that. So were you somewhat a dominant from the early days? I just like people being in pain, I think. And I don't really mind whether it's me or somebody else, hmm. or if it's just happening in the same room as me, and because I can take less pain than I like to happen so that's why I generally end up in dominance I'm kind of a physical coward um so I I tend to dominate people who can take much more pain than me I find that more satisfying but I also really love being hurt you know I'm, I'm sitting here now with an incredibly sore bottom because I was at a party last night where I'm quite sure what happened to me but yeah very striped bottom I think everyone had a go on me <laughs> me well, we're going to give your bottom a little bit of a break. And when we come right back, we're going to talk about the transition into domination with Melissa Todd when we return. Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom, but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports. No, not the jet ski kind. And you really want to fulfill their fantasy, but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast, The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works. Real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression. How to date as an existing couple, and if you should. Dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. This is Tanya Tate. And have you listened to my podcast? Tanya Tate presents MILFs Making Money. I share a whole lot of positivity 
tips and tools on how myself and other women in the adult industry make money on premium social media platforms. If you want to hear me interview many different guests, then get yourself over there, milfsmakingmoney.com. And you can also search my name, Milfs Making Money, on all of your usual podcast platforms. And if you enjoyed listening to What Women Want podcast, make sure you get yourself over and subscribe to my podcast, milfsmakingmoney.com. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. Welcome back to the program. My name is John, also known as Hi There Catsuit, joined by Melissa Todd, whose book, My Body is My Business, is described as this. Clara left Oxford University to become a stripper 25 years later, a porn star and a disciplinarian. She tries to work out how she got here and where she might go next. A funny, fresh, new voice, filthy, twisted, and delectable. (laughs) That is the premise of My Body is My Business, a book that you wrote about your days as a stripper and then eventually going into being a disciplinarian, a fictionalized account. What was the reason you decided to fictionalize it as opposed to writing from your own perspective? Well, I got a master's in creative writing and I really like novels and I almost never read autobiographies. I think you have more fun and more scope with fiction, really. And I wanted to hide behind a a character because, you know, my life's quite boring, really. (laughs) Um, So I wanted Clara's experiences are all my own, but I wanted to put her in a situation where there was much more drama and conflict. She hadn't been as lucky in love as I have been. She hadn't been as sensible with money. Um, I've always been terribly sensible and boring, really, on the sly, apart from my kink journey. (laughs) You know, what if I hadn't bought property, I hadn't invested and so on? What if I did find myself 45 with nothing to show for it and single and washed up and thinking what the hell happens next? So I wanted to give her a bit more, yeah, a bit more drama, a bit more jeopardy. And in Clara, obviously you based it on yourself, but was there any other traits that you wanted to take from other people that you might have worked with either as a stripper or as a dominatrix? Oh, probably. Yeah. I've used a lot of other people's stories, I must admit, and other people's uh, personalities. I think she's a lot more, uh, yeah, she's probably less submissive than me, actually. She's much spicier, more confident, more sassy, more courageous than me, I think. Yeah. I wanted to make her, yeah. Yeah, just less dull, really. (laughs) Was there any one person, and we'll keep privacy in this, but was there any one person that kind of you looked up to as, wow, this person has it together. I would like Clara to be more like her than like me. Yeah, probably women who are properly dominant. So I'm known as the most submissive dominatrix in town, you know, I'm I'm very good at, uh, I give my clients what they want, but I do look up at incredibly dominant women, like, um, or you won't know, but Elsa Svensson, who I work with all the time, and uh, Sarah Gregory, who's an American I was working with this weekend, you might know her, she's a top as well, and she does all sorts, she switches. But yeah, women who just seem to be completely in control all the time, which I never am, I never feel, yeah. (laughs) You went into this with an audition where you had your bottom spanked. You described that earlier, and then you spanked another's bottom. Mm. What was your first paid job as a dominatrix? Gosh. Well, in one-to-one sessions, um, there was a a lovely old chap called John who just had a triple heart bypass, actually. So that was a bit scary. And uh, he turned up to my house. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Poor chap, I should have paid him, really. And he sort of gave me a tutorial in how to beat him. And I bought this really pathetic 
cosmetic cheap cane and there's a hairbrush and a slipper and so on. And he very kindly sat me down and said, this is how you do it. <laughs> and we became really good friends, actually. And uh, he taught me how to cane him, how to role play. He was very key. He'd been playing for years and years and, uh, and clearly liked me or put up with me anyway and, and showed me how to do it. And he's come every fortnight and I would practice on his bottom, bless him, and get better at role play and pretending I knew what I was doing and faking confidence, faked it till I made it. Um, uh, yeah, so that was it as a session. I think before that was making films where I had to, to top people, yeah, for, in videos. Again, I just, yeah practiced and copied everybody else and just hope for the best really do you and i ask this question of so many people that have been on my show do you have a story and john sounds like it might very well be it but let's pick another one mm -hmm. a story where somebody has said you have made such the difference in my life i didn't realize i could feel this way Oh, that's a lovely question. Yeah, a few people have said that to me, actually. I think I have made real differences in people's lives. So many men, it is generally men, who uh, have never been able to come out to anybody, who never been able to play with anyone and just be their real authentic selves and be dominated, be hurt. Often men who, you know, have incredibly high-powered jobs and very responsible within their own family. And, uh, and they come to me and it all just falls away and they feel suddenly able to cry, which is the most tremendous privilege. I've watched men cry and no one's ever done that for me before. Uh, but women too, increasingly, in fact, um, you know, women who are wives and mothers and they come to me to just get rid of all that and just play as schoolgirls, you know, or as naughty children. And uh, yeah, I do. I really think I do make a real difference. My work does feel important often. It's not just silliness and frolics. So well, there's nothing wrong with that. But I really think I do make a difference to people, which is wonderful. I'd say such a privilege. And I do share people's lives. I hold them when their parents cry, when their grandchildren are born and so on. Yeah, and I do feel part of their, part of their world. A premise that has been discussed many times on this show is the difference in the thought process of men and women when they are submissive or when they are performing on stage. <laughs> and you'll find that kind of interesting. <laughs> the premise is that, and I go to improv, that when a male improviser receives a suggestion they immediately think of the solution and head straight to that. Okay. When a woman is given a suggestion, they take the suggestion and they stop right where they are and they do a 360 degree turn of where they are to know where everything sets and they allow their journey to begin naturally. Oh. Okay. instead of a straight line right and if we were going to just use it in basic guy terms mm -hmm. guys want to get off <laughs> that's where that's the destination that's yeah. the solution mm -hmm. women need this beautiful thought process to get mm -hmm. to wherever it is they want to be whether mm -hmm. it is orgasm whether it is feeling in the moment which is my big kink okay so when you play with men and women, do you feel that kind of difference in the way that the session will go? I, yeah, I've never really thought about it like that, but you, I don't know. I think it really depends on the person, honestly. I think a lot of men aren't particularly interested in the orgasm, or at least not in the room with me. They mm -hmm. do want to completely forget themselves and just be somebody totally different. And um, yeah, I'm sure the orgasm's at the back of their head or, or maybe mm -hmm. not even there, really. It's something that will occur to them later. And That's just, good to hear. Yeah, I think. They just want to completely lose themselves and immerse themselves into something else. And women sometimes can be incredibly orgasm focused. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's just where they want to go. Or they just want to, you know, be incredibly naughty and be a new character. And um, yeah, so I, I don't think it's that gender specific, really. Maybe no. it's me romanticizing or me Ooh. just feeling some of the stories that I've heard from you people. Right. Um, you made me wonder now. I shall think about it next time I play with men and women. I'll be looking <laughs> for that difference. I'm really not sure. <laughs> Is kink more accepted in Britain and Europe or is it still this shadow world that people are scared to be discovered in? 
it's still very much a shadow world. And I think actually in the 25 years I've been working, it's become more shadowy and hidden actually, which is really, yeah, it's it's really heartbreaking. Um, Yes. When I came out officially and I used my real name to publish this book, um, yeah, there were people who sort of unfriended me on Facebook because they didn't want to be associated with me anymore, which I totally understood. And they told me about it and said, I can't have my parents know that this is how I know you. And I was uh, doing, I was newsreader on a local radio station. And they suspended me. They didn't want me to be part of it and come out as a kinkster. Um, so yeah, it's still very much a hidden secret world, which is a real shame. And I genuinely feel that I need to do my bit because I am in this privileged position that, um, yeah, I can say, look, it's fine. I'm kinky. And I'm, it's, it's okay. I'm not a lunatic. And there's all the other stuff going on in my world. It's not even the biggest part of me. It's just a part. But I'm also, you know, able to do all these things. I'm a writer and a mother and a wife and all the rest of it. Uh, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I don't know why. But yeah, a lot of my gay friends, actually, see, I'm theatrical. I know a lot of gay men and they feel this sort of connection with me now. And, you know, they're sharing their coming out stories with me in the same way that I have. But yeah, it does feel that you have to come out and deal with people's reactions to you it can't just be oh yes by the way like I like Chinese food <laughs> I like being <laughs> it's a huge deal that people really struggle to cope with and people yeah struggle to be grown up about anything to do with sex and sexuality and particularly differing sexualities it's a shame is it the same in America or worse it's hard to know it goes back and forth okay. and when I talk to a number of dominatrices mm-hmm. here in the states Many of them will say that they believe kink is a valid orientation. Okay. Yeah. Because you don't have a choice as to whether you're going to become kinky or not. Yeah, that feels true. Definitely. Yes. So if you're going to live in this shadow world and are scared to come out, the sad part about it is you said you were a news presenter Mm. on a local radio station. Yes. There's no difference in the voice or the tone or the words that come out Mm -hmm. of a woman who is purely vanilla and one that is kinky. It's true, yes. And I've been doing the job very well for two years, yes, and nobody had ever complained. I was very good at it. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. So what do you say to somebody like that now? Do you say it's your loss or do you just sit back and go, are people ever going to understand? <laughs> I do think it's their loss. And I, I think it's an extraordinary way to respond to me. I really do. And uh, I think it was cowardly. They just sort of walked away from me. I, yeah, I really hope. I th- and I believe that the tide will turn, in fact. Again, you see, yeah, understanding goes back and forth and up and down. And I think, yeah, maybe in a decade, hopefully, certainly in my lifetime, that it will just be understood as just, you know, a preference that really doesn't affect anything else. It doesn't matter. You can obviously be kinky and be a newsreader or be anything else you want. And it doesn't affect it in the least. It just seems crazy. You write this book and suddenly Melissa Todd from Kent, <laughs> who writes for their own little paper or little online place, is being written about in the Times of London and the New York Post. Oh, so exciting. (laughs) How do you prepare yourself for that? Oh, I didn't have a clue it was going to happen. I really didn't. Um, It was overwhelming and terrifying. And yeah, I kept Googling my name to go, oh my God, I'm there and there and there. Wow. Um, I loved it. You know, I'm an attention junkie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, I couldn't, it was thrilling, genuinely thrilling. And even though I was horrified at the fallout, say that the the radio station had let me go, I loved it. And I felt that, yeah, it was where I was meant to be. And I was doing a good thing. And yeah, screaming out for Kingsters was exactly the right thing to do. So many times when somebody is interviewed for anything, they can be taken out of context, Mm -hmm. especially in a newspaper interview or a print interview. Did you feel you were fairly treated in both? I I think I was fairly treated in both, more or less. I think they were quite kind. and They gave me lots of column inches to explain myself. The New York Post was a little bit salacious, I thought, really. They went for the the exciting headlines. Um, But... Yeah, I think they did a reasonably good job on me, really. Um, I think, yeah. And hopefully it's pointed people to my book, which obviously I, I describe and explain myself at greater length. Um, 
yeah no i think actually it was okay i've got nothing to complain about with the press really i love the fact that your pictures on your gallery <clears throat> the one with all the newspapers all over you yes. is just absolutely the most wonderful picture because it is in essence you <laughs> that your writing is what everybody saw on the outside, but on mm -hmm. the inside, there was this wonderfully wicked woman who <laughs> just enjoys life. Thank you. That sounds right. That was a bit of luck. The photographer just contacted me and asked me to do this shoot. He wanted to do this whole newspaper theme. He didn't know anything about me. So that's handy because I'm a newspaper editor. <laughs> I do all this other stuff. But yeah, those pictures have been so incredibly useful. And yeah, it's true. Covered in newsprint, yes. It's naked and saucy underneath it. <laughs> what was the best piece of the fallout from the articles, meaning the most positive thing that happened to you? And what was the most negative? Um, gosh. I think the most positive thing, actually, was how many women in particular wrote to me. And I'd expected unpleasantness and bitchy remarks and so on but so many women wrote to me and said you're so brave you're so inspirational I wish I could be like you and I was writing back to them all the time saying but you can it's dead easy you know and this is how you do it you can become a model or a dominatrix or anything you like um that was definitely the most positive most negative I guess was losing my position although good has come of that as well actually I'm very positive I'm a Pollyanna <laughs> so I've been offered other jobs with other radio stations now and I'm being given other opportunities and I've um, increased my scope and uh, my appeal within the kink scene as well. So I'm being offered many more huge international spanking films and stuff. And I'm getting to meet all my like superheroes. Oh, very cool. <laughs> very very exactly. cool. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> so I'll be coming to the States next month, in fact, to go to a party in Connecticut. And uh, yeah, it's just wonderful. Yeah, life's getting I know. So it's all been good. It really has. I'm a lucky girl. I will tell you as an aside, there was a radio station in the 80s in Houston, <laughs> Texas, oh, yeah. that themed their, and here in the States, we call it uh, the traffic reporting. You mm -hmm. call it travel alerts or, or uh, uh, drive time travel. Mm -hmm. And they called their reports traffic in bondage. No, really? <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> the the forty five is tied up at exit one forty six. Oh my goodness! Or well, people are being <laughs> people are being restrained at the entrance to Westheimer. <laughs> and they used Sorry, to have, and they called the reporter. This was in the eighties, the traffic dominatrix. And to <laughs> me, I always thought that was inspired. That so when, when I hear you are getting new roles, I'm going. Hmm, I wonder if Melissa's thought of this. <laughs> that is magnificent. This is the job for me. Where do I sign up? <laughs> Brilliant. What is next for you? Well, I really hope to do more writing and I'd like to do more public experiences, appearances rather, talking about kink. I've been booked on Tuesday to give a talk at the golf club about kink, which is astonishing. Um, so yeah, I just want to, now I am screamingly out there and shouting about this stuff. I feel it's kind of my responsibility to keep doing it and uh, just being out in the public eye and hopefully writing more because I love it. And, uh, and uh, yeah, more and more. And yeah, making more spanking films, really. And yeah, traveling more, talking to more people, experiencing more stuff, all of that. I'm very ambitious. The thing that I've loved through this entire conversation, and I haven't talked about it specifically until now, your family life seems like it's really good <laughs> yeah it's true I'm very lucky yeah I have a, a son who's 20 he's always known what I do he's kinky as well um we discovered I suddenly heard whacking sounds from his, <laughs> got his first girlfriend he was about 15 and said mom can I borrow your canes fine yeah so <laughs> I think that's definitely an inherited genetic link there that's great he can be really open with me um, my husband isn't kinky in the least, but he's very supportive and thinks it's brilliant that I'm, you know, I'm out there doing all this talking and, um, yeah, yeah. And so obviously my mom is kinky. She, she's worked with me as well. She, um, I was working out of her house as a dominatrix and, uh, she was made redundant unexpectedly. She suddenly thought, well, I could do that. I could spank men. So she started doing it too. And we were filming together. So we kind of cornered the market on that, but yeah, it's, yeah. Yes. <laughs> My family have been very supportive throughout and know all about it, which is brilliant. Well, as you can probably tell by the 
fet name that I have, which is Hi There Cat Suit. Mm-hmm. I appreciate anybody who's in leotards and leg warmers and tights. Yes, and- <laughs> that story, yeah. <laughs> so that would be a whole kink thing for me, actually. So there you go. <laughs> well, my first shoot actually for Spanking Magazine, which was Janus, I was in um, yeah, leotard and leg warmers, actually, in like aerobic tights. Yeah, because I was, yeah, I was very into aerobics at the time. You'd have loved that one. I'll have to dig out the pictures for you. <laughs> that would be lovely. And actually, this Friday on the program, we are going to talk with a lady by the name of Leah, who has a program called Solid Gold Fitness. And she does aerobics workouts in totally 80s fitness wear. And it's all aerobics that were done back in the 80s. We're we're talking Jane Fonda, Kathy Smith, all those people back there. And she does it in the exact same style as though you've gone back 40 years. Oh, superb. What fun. Oh, God, I used to love all that stuff. Just brilliant. Good for her. So we'll be talking about that on Friday. Melissa, how do people connect with you if they would like to do so? Oh, gosh. Well, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm Melissa R. Todd. That's probably the easiest way. Or just Google my name, Melissa Todd. You'll find it all about me. I do have a website, but I forgot what it's called. It doesn't have a very good name. But yeah, Twitter or Instagram, Melissa R. Todd. That's probably the easiest way. This has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I hope you enjoyed it half as much as we did. Oh, so much. You've given me so much to think about. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it back and process it and think what I should have said to you. But no, it's been thrilling. Thank you for your time. People living their authentic lives. Melissa is one of those great people who's been able to share that life in so many different ways. And I'm happy she shared it with us on the program. Speaking of authentic lives, an aerobics teacher in Great Britain discovered her authentic life lies in a decade from the past and is using that special bond with the 80s to present a fun and fantastic fitness program. It's a rare non-kink version of the show to talk about some inspirational and empowering programs from Leah of Solid Gold Fitness on a special Friday edition of the show to wrap up Brit Week. Until then, thank you for being with us. My name is John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time, and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.